0: Welcome to the Studying the Bible Podcast, where every Thursday, pastors Dylan Dodson and Brian Androsian study a book of the Bible, verse by verse, to see what is being communicated and how we can use it to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We pray that today's podcast can help you grow just a little bit closer to Christ. Welcome back to our online Bible study through the book of Colossians, and this session will be in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. Uh, As a quick recap, uh, Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 is Paul's introduction to this letter to the Colossians written around 62 AD. Uh, He's writing in response to news he's heard from Epaphras, who was the one who planted the church in Colossae. And so he's going to be encouraging them to grow in their spiritual maturity and focusing a lot on the supremacy and the power and the glory of Jesus as they kind of combat other ideologies that they are experiencing in their day. So with that being said, he says this in verse 9. Says, for this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now the question, of course, is he says, for this reason, well, what is the reason he's talking about? Well, we've seen in the first eight verses that God has already moved and proven faithful in Colossae, right? That God that the gospel has penetrated there, that the people are loving people well. And so in light of what God has done. In light of what God has done already, that people have been drawn to himself and the Colossians are living this out, not perfectly, but they're loving people in response to the love they have experienced from God. Uh, In light of what God has done already, Paul can pray in confidence about what he will continue to do, that God will continue this work. You know, for this reason, they continue to pray that they've already heard a good report. The gospel is spreading. The Colossians are loving each other well. And so they're going to continue to pray that God will continue in this work. Now, again, to be clear here, uh, Paul doesn't want some secretive knowledge, right? When he talks about the knowledge of his will being filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding, it's not some like secret knowledge that you have to jump through a lot of hoops to in order to figure out what is actually going on. So for Paul, the knowledge of God and the wisdom of who he is is revealed in Jesus, Uh, And so he will define who Jesus is more starting in verse 15. But the goal here is not to hide things away, but that people should know who Christ is, that we should live in a way that everyone, as many people as possible, can experience the love and grace of who God is and the love that he has for us, the forgiveness that he gives us and what Christ has done for us. And so he wants them to continue in this knowledge, not in this secret knowledge, but to practically live out what they know to be true about God. So then he says this in verse 10. And continue his prayer for them by saying, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. So Paul's desire here that as they grow in spiritual wisdom, uh, grow to learn more about Jesus, grow in knowledge of God, it's not for them to be uh, puffed up or for them to feel superior that, hey, I know more than you do, and so I'm wiser than you are, particularly in an ancient culture where wisdom and oratory were highly valued. Like if you were smarter than someone, if you knew more, if you were more articulate, more intellectual, this was a prized possession. So Paul's saying, hey, I don't want you to learn and grow in spiritual maturity so that you can puff yourself up or so that you can look down on other people. That's not what he wants. What he wants them to do is he wants them to grow in their knowledge of the Lord and their spiritual maturity. Why? So that they can bear more fruit and live out what they know. So again, as we said in the first session, it's not just about intellectual knowledge of God. It's about living out what you know to be true, as he says here, so that they can, in verse 10, so they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord walk in the manner worthy to be called a follower of Jesus, so that they can hold and represent Jesus in a way that is honorable and good and true. Again, not perfectly, but even when we do it imperfectly, that we repent, that we are honest about our brokenness, and that we ask for God's forgiveness, and the power, and the courage, and the strength of the Holy Spirit to to continue to live in a way that honors God. Now again, some things that are interesting here. When he says a walk in a way worthy of the Lord, a uh, walk was often a Jewish metaphor for how one conducts or behaves themselves. And so what is going on here is that growing in knowledge a good should not lead us to judge others or to look down on others but should lead us to love others and give grace to others and invite other people to experience the grace and mercy of who God is. So to walk in the way worthy of the Lord is to live in a way or behave in a way that is worthy to be called a disciple because we have been called a follower of Christ because of His grace and His mercy in our life. And so as we accept that gift, we should live as if we have accepted that gift, that that gift of His grace and His mercy has penetrated our hearts and it impacts how we treat people. Again, it's not just not just some, some superior knowledge that we hold over people, but as we grow to learn more of Jesus, we actually live out what we know about him to be true in our own lives. And he continues by saying this in verse 11 and 12, again, his prayer for what this would look like for them, what this means for them to grow in knowledge. Verse 11, that they would, uh, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. So again, in verse 11 and 12, Paul is praying here for their strength. Why? So that they may endure and they may have patience, that they may have thankfulness, that they may have love for one another. Again, not for domineering control, not to, you know, lord their knowledge of God and spiritual things over other people, but that they should love them. Now again, this is not what we typically think of when we think about power and what power is supposed to be used for. Right, Typically, we think power is supposed to be used for force, domineering, control, uh, getting what you want. But see, in Paul's mind, of course, is reflective of Jesus. Power is something that is flipped upside down. Right, The way of Jesus is to love, to forgive, to give grace, to give mercy, uh, not to be out of selfish vein or oh, selfish pursuits, but to consider other people greater than yourself. You see, power... And the kingdom of God is the exact opposite of how you and I assume power is for us today. And so this is why Paul is encouraging them. Power means loving people and forgiving people and serving people, not using it for domineering control or getting what you want. And why do we do this? Why do we live in this way? Because we get to share in Christ's inheritance because of what Christ has done. And it changes how we live, as he's talking about here, Uh, to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. That all the blessings and royalty and the majesty of God is given to Jesus. And so those of us who are in Jesus also get to take place, or get to take part in this inheritance in God's kingdom. So it changes how we live, knowing that we are loved and forgiven means that we love and forgive and give grace to other people as well. Because the saints again are talking about all believers. We've received God's mercy and it impacts what we do and how we love people. So in verse thirteen, he then says this says he, talking about Jesus here, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son, he loves. Right, just as God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, this is what he did. If you read the Old Testament story, the, the book of Exodus, uh, just like he has done for his chosen people, he has delivered us in the same way now from the domain of darkness and into his kingdom, right? into this upside-down kingdom that God rescued Israel. And now God is rescuing the entire world through Jesus so that you and I might be able to participate in this upside-down kingdom where the weak, where the oppressed, where the marginalized are elevated, those who are rich uh, and have status are to use that for good things. If not, that they will be humiliated when it comes to facing Jesus face to face. Again, the invitation is for us to live in this kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, but not living life for ourselves but caring for and loving other people. That God has rescued us to take part in this, not rescued us to make ourselves feel better or feel superior to other people who do not yet know them, know Him. He has rescued us to take part in His kingdom and helping His gospel message spread so that as many people as possible can also take part in His kingdom. And then he closes by saying this in verse 14. In him, again, talking about Jesus here, Colossians is all about Jesus. So in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, in Paul's mind, right, Jesus does all of us, all of this for us. All of, our, all of our salvation, the grace and the mercy is not because of anything we do. It is a free gift of God. In other words, what this should mean for us is that arrogance should have no place in the life of a follower of Jesus. Now, the times that you and I are arrogant, we should repent. We shouldn't continue to live in that manner because we were given God's love and grace as a grace and as a mercy, not because we earned it or were smarter or were better or had more money or lived a certain way or did certain things, but it was a a gift. It was a gift. And so there should be no arrogance in the life of a Jesus follower. And so Paul, again, is saying here that Jesus alone, not Jesus plus, not other things, not other ideologies, not not other systems of trying to gain God's favor, favor, but Jesus alone redeems and liberates us from sin. So Paul's encouragement here is to live in a way that reflects that. Because Jesus has redeemed us, we should live uh, live in a way that reflects that Jesus is the one who did it not that we were the ones who did it. And so we can forgive people and give grace to people and love people and put other people above ourselves because Christ did exactly that for us. And again, the encouragement is to look at Jesus and live in a response and in a reflective manner of the way that Jesus has given his life for us. And so in response, or in reflection, uh, a recap of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, let me give you three quick points. Number one, we see here that we are to live in a response to Christ, not to gain something from Christ, not to arrogantly think we deserved it, but in response to the mercy that we did not deserve, our lives should be a a response to that, A, a gratitude, a thankfulness, not an obligation to follow Jesus or else, but an invitation to follow Jesus because of what it means for us and what he has done. We live in a response to Christ. Secondly, we should, desire to have, uh, we should desire to live worthy of the kingdom. Because it was a free gift given, we should walk in a manner worthy. We should live. We should behave in a manner that says our citizenship is part of this kingdom. Do you want to come too? That God invites all of us to sit at his table. And so we should desire to live in a way worthy of this kingdom. And then finally, what we see happening here is that our power leads us to love. The power that Paul is praying about here for believers, for the Colossians, and of course, by extension, all believers, is not that for domineering control. uh, It's not to be uh, in control and setting all the rules and the laws and the regulations and all these things. But we should desire to have the power to love people. The power through the the Spirit in our lives to forgive people, uh, to serve people, to put other people's interests above our own. Our power leads us to love. And that is what Paul is getting at in Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14.